If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. If you don't have a Bible, there's one back there you can use. 2 Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. It's after like maybe 10 or so books. You can feel free to use the table of contents in the beginning. But fam, we have officially done it. No one is excited. But we have, for the last 25 weeks, not going to believe that, but the last 25 weeks, we started in Genesis 1. And tonight, we finished the Old Testament. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We have done it. It's been a long haul. But 25 weeks later, fam, we're here. I just want to say, I don't know a ton of youth and or leaders who would commit to Monday nights learning about the Torah and Abraham and the Old Covenant, and you're still coming back. I don't know why, but you're still coming back. So let's give it up for you guys. You made it. You made it. 25 weeks in, and we're here. But if you've been around for the last uh, couple weeks, you'll know that we're in this series called The Scriptures, where we're learning how the story of the Bible is actually one story that leads us to Jesus. Uh, And tonight we are finishing this chapter that we've called The Covenant, and we're looking at how the kingdom of God was promised, and tonight we're kind of reaching the dot, dot, dot version of the Old Testament which will make more sense as we go on. But tonight, here's my big idea. Here's what I want us to see. That the, old te- the story of the Old Testament is actually our story, and our story needs a better ending. So the Old Testament is actually, it's a story, but it's actually our story, and both the story of the Old Testament and the story of our lives needs a better ending. So that's my goal for us Test. We good? All right. Second Chronicles chapter 36. We're going to read two verses tonight, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get going. All right? Second Chronicles. Anybody need more time? I, if you're like me, you've just been like chewing hard on the book of Chronicles the last couple weeks, so I resonate with you, and this is going to be a really special time together. But Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22 to 23. Anybody, would you be bold enough to read those two verses? Anybody who wants to? Stephen Smith, hit it. Uh, 22 to 23, just that last paragraph. Amen. This is uh, the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us, and we'll get going. Jesus, um, we love you. Uh, We love who you are. We love what you're doing in our lives. Uh, We're humbled that you would save us and call us and, and use us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would 
speak to us tonight, that you would uh, move in our hearts and our minds, that we would hear from you, that we would set aside the distractions of our homework and relationships and, and the things uh, that bog us down and the things that give us anxiety, and we would focus on what you have to share with us tonight. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you remember this movie, Inception? How many of you remember that movie? Incredible movie. So good. Uh, it's basically a movie about dreams and dreams versus realities and how there are some stories that aren't actual stories, but they're your dreams, and then your dreams represent the real story that's happening, but you have multiple stories within these dreams that are happening, and then reality sets in, and you're learning that this story that's within the dream that's within your dream is playing out in real life, but you don't actually know that because you're asleep connected to this IV, and if you're like, what? that's inception. And you get to the end and you're like, I'm depressed now. I don't actually know if I'm living my real life. Am I dreaming? And then like you just get filled with anxiety and that's basically the end of the movie. But throughout the movie, we learn about this thing called a totem. Anybody remember what a totem is? Okay, you may not know it as a totem, but it's this small object that characters in the movie put in their pocket and it helps them distinguish what's real from what's a dream. So it's this little thing they put in their pocket. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a great movie. But the main character's name is Cobb, and this is his totem. So basically throughout the movie, it's a movie about dreams, and there's this little object that the characters put in their pocket or carry with them, and they're always trying to distinguish what is a dream that they're in and what is reality. And so this totem helps them distinguish. So Cobb, for instance, this is his totem. And what he does, he spins this top. And if the top keeps spinning, then Cobb knows, okay, this is a dream. And so what happens here is not real life, but I'm actually dreaming this. But if Cobb spins the top and at some point it falls over, Cobb then is like, okay, this is reality. I'm not in a dream. This is real life. And so they are able to distinguish what's true from what is just the dream. So the very end of the movie, all these crazy things happen, and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And the very last scene of the movie is a 10-second span of Cobb spinning his totem, and the last 10 seconds is just basically this. And you are just hanging on the edge. You're like, is this reality? Is this a dream? What is it? And you're waiting for it to fall over to be like, oh, man, that was reality. And then you're like waiting, 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 and then the movie just ends. And you're like, what the heck? Was that true? Was that a dream? This whole movie's about dream. Am I even a real person? I don't know what is true anymore about anything. And you're left wondering at the end of this movie, what, what the heck was that? Is this real? Is this a dream? I'm so confused about all of this. And you have that feeling of like, okay, that's all fine, but like, what happens? What's next? Like, did she live? Is this real life? Where is reality? And you're really left hanging. And by the end of the movie, there's no resolution. You're just left hanging and until Jesus comes back. We'll never know whether Cobb was in a dream or if it was real. 
you're left wondering and you're thinking, this cannot, this can't be the end of the story. Like, it doesn't solve anything. There's no, like, real tension that's drawn to a conclusion. You're just really left hanging. And you wonder at the end of this movie, is this really, like, the best way that this movie could have ended? Like, I really would have loved some, like, some closure, some resolution. And in a lot of ways, just like Inception, that's how the end of the Old Testament happens. So we've been journeying for 25 weeks through this story. You know, there's been ups and downs, and we're twisting, and we're learning about all these characters and stories, and then we get to the end, and we're like, okay, great, then what happens? And the end of the Old Testament is just like a totem that you're wondering, is it going to tip over or not? And it just ends, and you're like, okay, like, but what happened? Where's the, like, resolution? Where was all of this leading to? Well, tonight, I want us to see, again, that the story of the Old Testament is our story, and our story needs a better ending. So we're in the book of 2 Chronicles tonight. Uh, Again, how many of you have ever opened your Bible intentionally to the book of 2 Chronicles within recent memory, like in the last 30 years of your life? Anybody? Okay, several of us have. Most of us, if you're a normal human being, that is not your typical way that you engage with God is through the book of 2 Chronicles. But what's even more interesting about the book of Chronicles is that in your English Bibles, it's not at the end of the Old Testament. So you may be wondering, like, what the heck? Why are we in 2 Chronicles? Like, it's not even at the end of the story. We're talking about this thing, but it doesn't really even makes sense. So for a quick time out on Inception, a little Bible history for you. This is how the English Bible is laid out. So you have law, history, poetry, major prophets, and then minor prophets. Can anybody see where Chronicles is in that list? Okay, it's in history, which is weird. Uh, There's Samuel, which first and second Samuel in uh, the Hebrew Bible is just one book. Same thing with Kings and same thing with Chronicles. So it looks like Chronicles is not at all near the end of the story. Like it looks like, oh, I missed some at the end there. Uh, I did. My bad. Oops. Um, Those are the end. They don't matter anyways. They're minor prophets. Um, But if you were in Youth Academy last year, you'll remember this because we hit the Tanakh pretty hard. But the Hebrew Bible is arranged like this. It's called the Tanakh, and that stands for the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. And what do you notice about the book of Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible? It's the very last one. So the reason that we're ending with Chronicles is because the way that Jesus' Bible would have had Chronicles, it would have been the last book of the Bible, and that's the way Jesus would have interpreted Scripture, that the end of Chronicles is kind of the end of the Old Testament, and you're kind of just left wondering what is happening. Now, the author of Chronicles, whoever it was, wrote this book as a summary of the whole Old Testament. So all the way from Genesis to Ezra and Nehemiah, the author of Chronicles gets to his or her book of writing, and they say, okay, I'm going to tell the story of the Old Testament, but I'm going to do it through genealogies. How many of you know what a genealogy is? Yeah, super boring. Okay, genealogies are like the worst. They're really boring to read. And 1 Chronicles is basically the first nine chapters are just all names. 
And so if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're like, yeah, I don't need like any of that. Get me to like David and Goliath. Um, but what's really, really beautiful about Chronicles, and I'm going to try to convince you of its beauty tonight, is that the author uses genealogies to tell the story that we've been telling for the last 25 weeks. So let me show you what I mean. The first verse in the book of Chronicles, it's a long one, so bear with me. But here's the first verse of the book of Chronicles right here. Adam, Seth, Enosh. Right? Now, not a lot happening in that verse, but what's the first word that you see? Adam. Now, what's really interesting is the author of Chronicles says that the story starts with Adam. The story started where we started in our series. Adam, just translated Adam, is the Hebrew word for humanity. And so the author of Chronicles knows this, and they intentionally start with this story of man being in the garden. So that's exactly where we started our series. In this garden, we looked at how the kingdom was created, that God created everything and man and woman, and he put Adam or humanity, uh, mankind, into the garden and called them to create this place where heaven and earth could dwell together. So they were called to rule the world in partnership with God and create this incredible kingdom, this place where God's will was done and the presence of God was with him and we carried the world forward the way that God had designed for us. But then we learned in chapter 2 of our story that we rebelled against God and the fall happened and this kingdom was lost. And so mankind was called to rule and reign the world on God's behalf But we failed at what God had called us to do. And we, in essence, we decreated what God had done. And we spiraled down into sin and hell and despair. And we unleashed all of these horrible things into God's good creation. But God promised that one day someone would come, this man born of a woman, that would deal with our rebellion and allow this evil, this hell, this injustice that we unleashed to overtake him and bring about the blessing and the healing of the world through his death and resurrection. In short, God promised that God's kingdom would come. And years later, God came to a man named, anybody remember? What was after Adam? What was like the next big person in our chapter, in our series? Yes, Abraham. That's right. God came to Abraham and made this unbreakable vow, this covenant with him, and promised that through this family, through this one man, he would bring about the healing and the restoration and the kingdom through this one person, which is exactly what we read about in 1 Chronicles 1, verse 27, when the author writes, Abram, that is Abraham. So again, this is kind of a weird genre of literature. This isn't something that you would like read a lot. But again, we're reading these stories thousands of years from when they happen, and we kind of have to put ourselves in their shoes and adapt ourselves to their way of talking and writing. So Abraham, this was the most important part of the story so far because God came to this man, and the whole point of Abraham and his family, what well, 
what we have been talking about Israel was for them to be this kingdom, this place, this people where heaven and earth could again dwell together and the whole world would be blessed through this one family. God's presence would be with them and he would bring about the restoration and the renewal of all nations, not just this one nation. And so Abraham's family, Israel, was supposed to be what Adam and Eve failed to be. But then we saw hundreds of years later, uh, Abraham's family ended up in slavery, and yet again, God rescued them through another man. His name was Moses. Yeah, there's lots of them, but Moses specifically is who we talked about. And the author, big surprise, mentions this in 1 Chronicles 21 writes this, for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offerings were at that time at the high place in Gibeon. So again, that's kind of a confusing verse, but what's happening here is the author is recounting the story of the Old Testament through this genealogy. So Abraham's family, Israel, they're out Mount Sinai, they're freed from uh, slavery in Egypt, And they wander in the desert for 40 years, and then through Joshua, they enter the promised land. And years pass after Joshua, and then up until this point, one of the most important characters enters the story. His name was King David. And 1 Chronicles 11, we read this. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a what? covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Now, David, this is just a fun fact. Uh, This is a little party trick for you. This weekend, if you're hanging out with friends, you can ask this question. How many times does the word David come up in the book of Chronicles? Anybody know? What What do we think? How many times does David come up in Chronicles? Once. That's an option. Anybody else? 100. Anybody more or less than 100? I'll just tell you, it's 166. 166 times. So, if somebody is writing you a letter and they say a word 166 times in that letter, do you think it would be important or not important? Yes, it would be very important. So David is this incredibly important character. But even King David, who is supposed to be like, he killed Goliath and he like built this incredible place and he brought the people back to Jerusalem and the ark and all these amazing things. Even David wasn't this person that God had promised in the very beginning who would bring about this kingdom that would bring about God's blessing. And so David failed in a lot of ways and We learned that David actually, including Bathsheba, but he was so violent and he killed so many people that God was like, actually, I'm not going to let you finish my temple because you have killed so many people. And so David's son, whose name was Solomon, was the next person in the story. And in 2 Chronicles 1, that's exactly what we meet. We read that Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom. Again, these are like words that we've been talking about, kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and made him 
exceedingly great. So Solomon, again, this is somebody from Abraham's family who's supposed to create this place where heaven and earth can dwell together and God's people can host his presence so the world can know who this God is and what it looks like to live under the reign of this God and be ushered into his presence and experience his power. That's who Israel was supposed to be. And we learned that even Solomon, he built this incredible temple. He did all these amazing things for God. And yet, he was not this person that the world was looking for. They were looking for an end of their story. One where God would come and this king would be on the throne. And all of these amazing things would happen. And heaven and earth would be together. And there would be healing. And all the nations would come. And and there would be just massive joy and justice and flourishing as humanity, and yet it never happened. So could this story of the Old Testament, is this how it's supposed to end? Is Solomon the end? Like, is that the best God could do? Is this the end of the story that we need? Well, the answer is we read is definitely no, Because the story of the Old Testament is our story, and our story needs a better ending than the one we have experienced. So we've we talked about exile uh, in Second Corinth or uh, Second Chronicles. I'm going to skip that because we already talked about that. Um, And at the very end of the story. We go through all of this stuff and still nothing has happened. And we're still looking for a better end to this story. And then we get to the end of 2 Chronicles, which is the end of the story, these last verses in the entire Old Testament. And here's what we read. King Cyrus took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of of the kingdom in Persia. So again, they're in exile. They're slaves again. This is like Exodus all over again. And then, by God's grace, they're allowed to go back to to Jerusalem and build this temple, and it's not the same as it was. And everyone is left wondering, where the heck is God? What is happening? Now, what's really interesting about the book of Chronicles and where our... uh, passage for tonight ends, the last phrase in verse 23, anybody want to read that sentence, the last sentence in our passage? Anybody see what it is? Somebody read it. It's four words. Let him go up. That's right. Now you're like, oh, why is that important? Here's why it's important. In our Bibles, the translators put a period there because they're like, we can't end this book without a period. In the Hebrew Bible, there's literally no period. So in the Hebrew Bible, the last book of the Hebrew Bible, it's like, I mean, read that verse. The Lord, this is Cyrus. So this isn't even like a follower of God. This king from like a, from a different nation was like, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Sounds familiar. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. That sounds good. I'd be down for that, says the people of God. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And then it just ends. And that's like the end of the Old Testament. 
it literally, the Old Testament literally ends with an incomplete sentence. There's no period. There's no resolution. It's just like totem is just spinning, and you're like, what the heck is supposed to heaven? Heaven. Happen. <laughs> what is supposed to heaven? Now, the author of Chronicles is not, that wasn't like an oopsies. That wasn't like, ah, I ran out of time on Thursday and I couldn't finish the book of Chronicles. That's an intentional move on the author's part. Why? What's unique about this? What's special about this? Yeah. Yes, exactly. What's he trying to do? If you leave a sentence unfinished, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get your readers to listen and understand and be like, man, this I guess this isn't the end of the story, the end of the Old Testament. And we're just left wondering, okay, where is this all going to? The author is waiting for a better ending. The author, whoever they were, understands that this cannot be God's final word in the story. We cannot be subject to evil and injustice and abuse and hell and misogyny and racism and death and stress and anxiety and suicide and depression and insecurity and addiction and idolatry. That cannot be the end of our story. We need a better ending. We need a better story. We need a better king that was better than David or Solomon. We need a better savior. And the story of the Old Testament is that this Savior wasn't Adam, it wasn't Abraham, it wasn't Moses, it wasn't David, it wasn't Solomon, it isn't Joseph, it isn't Westside Youth, it's not me, it's not you, it's not Westside, it's not even the church, it's Jesus. Jesus is who all of this story has been leading us to. Jesus here is the greater Adam who gave, his, who gave true identity to all the image bearers of God, passed his test in the garden, and faithfully ruled the kingdom of God. Jesus is the greater Abraham who answered the call of the Father to journey into a foreign land, to leave all that was comfortable and familiar and create a new people with a new purpose. Jesus is the greater Moses who stood in the gap between God and man, rescued them from slavery, and ushered in this new kingdom of blessing and renewal, not just for his people, but for the people of the whole world, of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jesus is the greater David who came from humble beginnings and gave his people victory and was a king who won on behalf of his people. Jesus is the greater Solomon who reestablished the temple, tore the veil, led his people into a new reality of heaven and, earth, heaven and earth coming together, and created this new people where there is no distinction or class or privilege, and made us all part of this royal priesthood, the very temple of God living within each of us, hosting his very presence to the world. Jesus journeyed into a greater exile, was faithful, endured Babylon on our behalf, would not bow to the statue of idol and power, was thrown into this den of death, was eaten by this lion Satan who prowls around seeking someone to devour, arose from exile and the tomb victorious, and now seeks 
to create a new exile in his people where he ushers in the kingdom of God finally and forever, creating a people who bring heaven on earth and work to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what, yeah, great, amen. That is what, remember when that happened at Westside, TBT? That is what this whole story is about. It's about you and it's about me, but it's not about you or me. It's about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus wants to do in and through us as his people. See, the story of the Old Testament is our story. And our story needs a better ending. Chronicles leaves us waiting for a king to come back and make all things new. It literally ends without a period. And it's waiting for someone to come back and deal with all of these things that is going wrong in our world. But scripture is not like Inception. It's not like the totem where we're left wondering like, oh, what's going to happen? When are things going to get better? We're not left wondering who this king will be or what his kingdom will look like. We no longer wait for the return of this king. The king is here. His kingdom has come, and he calls each of us to respond to him. So the question becomes, who is this king, and what does his kingdom look like? Where does all of this go from here? Well, I'm glad you asked, because over the next few weeks, we're going to have Courtney, Gareth, Nat, Holly, and myself explore what this story means for us from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation and in between there too and beyond. What does all this mean? Who is Jesus? What is the story of the scriptures? So that, my friends, is where we've been. We did it. And now the sentence is still incomplete. Where are we going? What's going to happen? Well, we're going to explore that together over the next four or five weeks. So let me pray for us, and then we'll head into our small groups. Jesus, thank you for using so many different ways uh, to communicate to us how much we matter, and how much our lives matter, and how much you love us, in that you would illustrate that through genealogies and you would illustrate that through some seemingly random book in the Old Testament written thousands of years ago that ends with an incomplete sentence and your desire in that is to communicate to us how amazing you are, how incredible you are, how much you love us, how much you love our world, how much you love the people around us and how much you desire to heal the world. And not only heal it, but partner with us to bring about that, re- that renewing and that healing and that restoration. So, Holy Spirit, use us, help us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here as they um, continue to sit in science classrooms and soccer teams and and school boards and construction sites and nursing offices and volleyball teams and in bedrooms and living rooms and kitchens and 
on the street and on transit, everywhere we are, uh, you have a desire to use us, and our story is, is incomplete, and you desire to uh, continue to move in and through us. So, uh, Holy Spirit, help us. Uh, we're in great need. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.